Good afternoon. All right. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Ross. I'm excited to be here with you guys today and share God's word. I'm the youth pastor here, if you guys didn't know. So um, I don't know. There's some, I see a few youths here. Yes. A little bit. Shout out to them. So um, anyways, I, I'm excited to be here with you guys today. I had, I had a question too. I know Pastor Ross usually gets to ask the questions, but since I'm up here, I want to ask the question too. All right. Stuffing or mashed potatoes? Stuff, if stuffing, raise your hand. What? What about mashed potatoes? All right, there we go. See, I was surprised. I did this with the youth group, and it was overwhelming landslide stuffing. And I was like, what is wrong with you people? Anyways, <laughs> I, just, I was just seeing if it was different through the generations or whatever. So anyways, I'm excited to, to bring God's word, and uh, let's pray, and then we'll get right into it. Um, Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for your goodness in our lives, God. We thank you for the love that you've given us, God. We thank you for for uh, saving us, God. And we just pray, I pray, God, that we could just leave here today, God, after hearing your word, changed by your word, God, and that your spirit would do its work inside of us, God, and that we would uh, just leave here changed, leave here a little more grateful, a little bit more thankful, God, and just uh, a little bit more amazed and in awe of who you are, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I recently became friends with a leper, not a leopard, a leper, like in, the, like in the Bible. I'll tell you the story. So a lot of you guys know that earlier this month, the Rock sent a missions team to um, Nepal. And I'll, my wife and I were blessed and fortunate enough to go on there. And it was amazing getting to go to Nepal and just get to do so many things and serve the Lord and meet the people. But one of the last things that we did on the, on the trip is we went to a, a leprosy colony. And at the, the leprosy colony, it's like 20, uh, maybe 20 miles outside of Kathmandu. And maybe some of you guys are wondering, like I was wondering, I was like, we're going to go, go into a leprosy colony and it's a colony, it's separated. So like, are the people still contagious or like, and if they're not contagious, then why are they separated out in the colony? You know? So I was, I was asking all of these questions and, um, uh, Bond told me, no, what, what, what's going on is it's, it's the caste system in Nepal. So, uh, you know, the caste system, um, the untouchables. And so a lot of these people, uh, are viewed as untouchable. So they, they, they're not contagious anymore, but they still isolate them. They still put them outside of, outside of the city. So anyways, it's a, a sad thing, but a, a neat opportunity to go there and visit. And so we got to bring a program uh, with worship and uh, just some fun things and giving out some uh, supplies that are much needed. But while we were doing this, we would go house to house, if you can call it a home. Um, and there I met uh, a, a guy named Law. And I think we have a picture of him. This is Law. I became buddies with this guy. He is awesome. Really a neat guy. Um, and so I was going around and met Law, got to pray for him. And I asked him, I was like, hey, we're, we're having a program. I want you to come. And this is all through an interpreter. Uh, would you like to go? And he, he gets kind of like a sad look on his face. And he said, he said uh, he's like, I'm not able to go. You saw there that the disease is eating his hands away, but he also didn't have any feet. Uh, his feet were, were, were kind of eating away. He said, I have no way to get there because he lived in uh, you know, the, the colony that was like number two and the program was in number one, maybe two, 300 yards away. And I was like, I told the interpreter, I said, just ask him. I was like, does he have a desire? Does he, does he want to go? And uh, so he asked him and he said that he wanted to go. I said, awesome. I said, I'll be back here in like 20 minutes. Tell him to be ready and I'll, I'll get him. And he's like, well, how is it? How am I going to get there? And I said, don't worry about it. Just tell him I'm going to come and get him. And so we left and we did a couple more visits and the program was about to start. So I come back and I was like, are you ready, Law? And uh, he was like, well, how am I going to get over there? And I said, 
hop on my back, man. And so I turned around and Miss Sherry Lee actually got some pictures of it. So I put them on my back and uh, I hiked them a little bit. And uh, Jordan, Jordan uh, V, our, our uh, middle school director was there. And I said, hey, grab his chair and like go put it in the, in the best spot. Give him the best seat out of everybody there. And so he put him there. And uh, after the program, he was just there. And just like a neat guy. So thankful. Christian. This guy had been in this leprosy colony for over 60 years, since he was 11 years old. And like I said, you couldn't really even call them homes. They were, you know, little dwellings. And man, but this guy was so thankful. I went up to him afterwards just to see, just to talk to him. And I went to shake his hand and he, he took my hand and pulled it in. And he just started, he just started like crying and just started kissing my hand. And, and uh, this guy was just like caught me off guard. This guy was so, so thankful for, for doing something for, for me. It was just so, so small, you know, and uh, so thankful. He was just talking to Christian, just talking about how he, you know, how he loved Jesus. Jesus and Jesus got a hold of him while he was at the leprosy colony. And I was like, man, I need to, I want to pray for you. And he was like, no, he's like, I'm praying for you. And he's like, and I'm praying. And he goes, I'm praying. And I, he's like, I want to pray for your church too. So you have our, our, our my, my, uh, my wall of the thankful leper. He's also a, a vicariously a friend to you guys too. He's praying for you guys. And it was just a, an amazing, a humbling experience. Um, just to be able to, to meet him, to, to get to talk to him, just this, the whole experience experience was great. Um, and this morning we are also going to meet a thankful leper in Luke chapter 17. Uh, he's not given a name, but we're going to, we're going to meet him and get to know him. And it's going to be Luke 17 verses 11 through 19. So if you guys want to open there, um, we'll get going there. Verse 11 says this now in, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him and they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. However, one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise, go. Your faith has made you well. Amazing story of this thankful leper too. And, and, and in meeting law too, I was like, man, this guy is more, even though he has this, he's, he's more whole and more put together than, than most people that I know, which is incredible. But and getting into this, I wanted to remind us, you guys, that this isn't just, um, it's not just uh, just stories. It's not just moral stories. Sometimes I think as we're reading the Bible, it's like, oh, it's, this is a story and it's something that happened. But we forget, like, this is a historical account. This really happened. These were, were 10 real lepers. They really met Jesus. They were really cleansed, right? And really one of them returned and gave him praise. Like, it was a historical account. But I also want to ro- remind us that um, there is lessons for us to learn. Um, and, and, and there's a great lesson in that our, or our sin is leprosy. Leprosy is our sin. His leprosy is our sin. And his cleansing is, is our possible cleansing through the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. And the praise that this thankful leper has in his, his acts of worship and, and acts of gratitude should be our aims as Christians, knowing what Christ has done for us, how we should respond. And so 
Um, I want us to know that. And my hope is that we would be, in growing through this, that we'd be in awe and that we'd be enthralled and, and be amazed at, at God's grace and his word and that we would just leave here um, worshiping God and thanking God all the more. So that's the goal. And let's get started. Verse 11 and 12, let's get started. We are going to uh, first, we'll, we'll go in, uh, we'll set the horrifying scene. Verses 11 and 12, we'll set the horrifying scene. So here we go. The horrifying scene. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into the village, 10 men who had leprosy met him and they stood at a distance. So setting the scene, it says here, now he's on his way to Jerusalem. So Jesus is heading on to Jerusalem. He's been there a couple times before in his ministry, but this time it was different. He was heading there for the last time for in Luke chapter nine, it says that Jesus had set his face like Flint towards Jerusalem. He had a mission to do and he was going there to accomplish his mission. He was born to, he, he was sent to this world. He was born to go and die on the cross for the sins of the world. And since chapter nine, he had set his face, his mission, he's, he's heading there. And uh, that, his mission statement in Luke 19 says he came to seek and save that, that which was lost. And he was gonna do that by going and giving his life as a ransom for many. So he's heading to Jerusalem and we see he's traveling on the border between um, Samaria and Galilee. So the Galileans were Jews. The Samaritans weren't. Uh, the Jews despised the Samaritans. The Samaritans despised the Jews. We see Jesus. He's traveling on a road that most Jewish people, especially Jewish teachers, would not travel um, because they didn't get along. And so Jesus is breaking down a little bit of the barriers, but he's going there um, and he's, he's making himself known. And this is where he meets the 10 men who had leprosy. He says this, outside of the village, he says, or, or I wanted to say outside of the village, he met the 10 men who had leprosy. Uh, what is leprosy? So leprosy is the loathsome and a lonesome disease. It's terrifying. It's, it's horrific. It's been plaguing civilizations um, for much of human history. Uh, not up until recently has there been a, a, a cure or treatment for that. It, but back then there was no cure. Um, it was a miserable death sentence. If you were pronounced to have leprosy, you were, you were uh, according to Mosaic law, you were cast outside of the city. Um, you never to return again unless you were cleansed, but there was no cure. So the only way cleansing was possible is a, is a miracle of God. And so if people you would have, maybe it would start with a bump, like a spider bite, or maybe a blotch of skin. And um, pretty soon it would, it would just grow and it would start, um, these sores would develop and they would be putrefying and it would be, you know, just a, a horrible, horrible disease that would spread throughout the skin. Um, hair would start falling off, eyebrows, eyelashes, hair. And then pretty soon though, this disease, which started on the, on the surface level would go deeper and it would start attacking the tendons and the tendons would start constricting, right? And so you, the, the people's hands would start curling in, their feet would start curling in, and then it would go even further and start hitting the nerves. And this is where it got really bad because then uh, the people who had leprosy, they couldn't feel anything. And so in not being able to feel pain, they would injure themselves. They were desensitized. They couldn't, they couldn't feel things. They were prone to injury. Um, it was just a horrible, horrible thing. Uh, flesh eating all the way down to, all the way deep into the nerves. Uh, ears would rot. Faces were marred. Fingers and, and hands would get dis disfigured and all, all the way to where they would fall off. Um, and so this is a horrible, horrible disease. And even as bad, uh, you guys are getting the picture, even as bad as it is physically, I would say it's even worse, um, the emotional uh, ramifications, the spiritual ramifications of these. Um, 
You see, it says here that outside of the city, this verse would never say that Jesus met them in the city because they were cast out. I had mentioned that they were cast out. They were social outcasts and they did not receive any pity from the people because in that time, if you had leprosy, the, the thought was it was because you were cursed by God and they have this horrible disease because they're horrible sinners and they got what they have coming to them. You see, and so they didn't receive, they were shunned, they were outcast. They were, they, we see them here, they stood at a distance. They were isolated, embarrassing too. They had to uh, you know, put their, put their um, shirt over their face and yell unclean, unclean anytime someone came close to them. And so the religious ramifications, they weren't able to practice, uh, you know, gather and worship as we're experiencing today. Emotional ramifications, um, the embarrassment, the lack of hope, despised and rejected by society, all of these things, the life of a leper. Imagine, imagine living in that time. And then all of a sudden you see, you know, to your, to your worst nightmare, you see a little splotch of, uh, of skin, right? And, and you have to go to the priest. That's the law. I go to the priest and they declare you have leprosy from that moment moment on, your life is, is gone. Your life is over. You, no more family, no more community. You're outside of the camp, embarrassment, no church. You're, you're, you, you think and you're told you're cursed by God. There's no hope at all. Um, think about that. Never as a, as, a, as a husband, never being able to kiss my wife again, never being able to put kids down for bed, never be able to walk my daughter down the aisle, no Thanksgiving meals. So you guys get the picture, all of this. There's no hope. It's a mere existence, not even, maybe not even to call it the life that they had, but the existence of these 10 men were horrible. And like I said, they stood at a distance. And in Luke 18, the next chapter, verse 13, we see a tax collector also standing at a distance. It says, the tax collector stood at a distance and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, sin leaves us standing at a distance from God. He's holy and he's righteous. And even our righteous deeds are as filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6 says. And there, thus there's a great chasm, a great divide between God and humankind, right? There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a distance that sin has left. And so whether a tax collector or a leper, whether, whether rich or poor, all alike are all separated by sin from a holy God. We desperately, desperately need God's mercy, so why the isolation and the law, the practical ramifications? It was, uh, leprosy was completely contagious. So the practical ramifications, but also, as I've said before, that leprosy was a picture of sin. And as a picture of sin, you were to be separated at a distance. And so I want to take a second and just go through a few things as far as how leprosy and sin are related, how it's a picture. Leprosy is a picture of sin. Um, so like leprosy, sin, it starts off small, and then it becomes destructive, right? And as it spreads, it defiles. And it, as it goes deeper and deeper, it destroys. The disease is not satisfied. It's not satisfied until destruction has happened. And that's the same thing with sin. Start small, gets gets worse. It starts off something that maybe doesn't seem as bad and it gets worse and worse, deeper and deeper, darker and darker. And I was watching a, a documentary. It was called Operation Underground Railroad. And it was a guy named Timothy Ballard. He worked for the United States government. I think he was doing border patrol, but he started getting into, uh, he started getting exposed to uh, child trafficking. He started seeing this and started doing some things and, and really uh, trying to have some su success at, at arresting the bad guys and, and, and helping these children out. And uh, he, he, he saw it best that he could do more work, better work if he were to go uh, and start his own organization. And so 
he starts this, he started this organization up and go, he raised up military guys. They go all around the world, just freeing children from, um, from uh, trafficking, from being trafficked and horrible things. But in the documentary, you see him that's videoed. He goes in and he gets these guys on camera. He busts them and he says, he's getting interviewed. He said it all of these guys, after we, we bust them, he's interrogating them afterwards. Without doubt, every single one of them, he asked, how did you get to this place that you're at? And without fail, every single one of them, every single one of them said it, it started with a magazine. And then, and the, and then it, w- it, needed to go, it needed to be deeper and darker and then deeper and darker. And you see this picture of sin, this, this horrible, as sin just like, just like leprosy, as sin starts off, maybe something small and it gets deeper and darker, deeper and darker. And as it spreads, it destroys, right? And it's not satisfied until a complete destruction takes place. That is what sin does. It desensitizes as well. Leprosy attacks the nervous system. Sin, if left undealt, attacks spiritual feeling. You'll start growing numb to things that are evil and things that are horrible in this world and things that are horrible within our own hearts. It isolates you, right? Sin separates you and leaves you isolated from God and from those around you. Separates you from God because God is holy and it separates you from from people around you because sin is destructive. That's the nature of what sin is. No man-made cure at this time, right? No man-made cure. There's no man-made cure for sin as well right? Moral teachings, be, be, just go be a better person, psychology, preserving the planet. All, none of these can, can cure the condition, right? It's like a Band-Aid on, on, a, on a mortal wound, right? Nothing can cure the condition. Only a supernatural work of God can cleanse sin. And then last, this just destructive, the ugliness, the rotting, the decaying, the putrefying, it's just an ugly thing. And that's what sin ultimately is. So this truly is a horrifying scene their horrible lives, our horrible condition. Um, spiritually, that's the effects of sin. But let's, let's see what happens. We're going to meet the master of mercy in verse 13 and 14. We're going to see their response. Verse 13 and 14 says this. And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And so these, these 10 lepers, all individually with one accord, they stand up in, at the top of their lungs. The, the Greek word is, is microphone. At the top of their lungs, they yell out to Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And I was wondering, how, how did these, you know, where did they know? They called Jesus by his name. How did they get that? So they must have heard of this Jesus for his fame had spread throughout the world. They must have been hearing about the things that he was doing, opening blind eyes, opening up the deaf ears, like raising, you know, even raising the dead, all of these things. And then surely they, were, they heard about Jesus in Luke chapter five, cleansing the leper one that had the same disease. And now he doesn't have that disease. And this must have prompted them to cry out to Jesus, right? Knowing that he has the power and the, and he cried, they cried out to him in this way because they see that Luke chapter five is amazing. You guys remember the, the leper who comes to Jesus, right? He breaks the rules as far as keeping his distance. He knows his need. He comes to Jesus and he says, if you're, he says, will you heal me if you're willing, right? And then Jesus reaches out and he touches them and he says, I, I'm willing to be clean. And he was cleansed, right? And this, that picture of, of Jesus touching the leper, becoming leprous, so that the, the leper could be cleansed, right? And that's what he did. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we could co- become the righteousness of God, right? Jesus took the, the death penalty. He took the sentence for us, right? He is truly the master of mercy. And that's why they cry out to him. They cry out to him. They see what he's done. They yell, master. They acknowledge him as master. They acknowledge his lordship. 
they come to Jesus knowing that he has power and that he has authority and that, um, and this is the only time in all of the gospels that anyone outside of Jesus's disciples call him master. These lepers acknowledge correctly that they put themselves in the right place. And anyone that comes to Christ needs to come to him in the same way, acknowledging that Jesus is master, that he's Lord over all areas of my life and Lord over the world. And, and, and not only that, but they say, have mercy on us. Notice what they're not saying. They're not saying, Jesus, like we've lived a miserable life. You've seen we've lived a miserable life. We deserve a better life. Heal us, right? They don't say that. They don't come, they don't come to Jesus and say, it's only fair. We're pretty good lepers, Jesus. We're pretty good lepers. That other leper in chapter five, right? You healed him. And so it's only fair that you would heal us, right? So like you need to heal us now. You know, they don't say that. They don't, they don't show that. They don't, they don't um, go on their own merit, but they appeal to the mercy of, of Christ. They appear, appear to the master, master of mercy, right? And we too need to come to Christ in the same way. We too need to appeal to his mercy. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve anything, right? But we come to him knowing that God is good and that his heart is compassionate and that we appeal to his merciful and compassionate heart. And I love this in verse 14. It says, when he saw them, when he saw them, and sometimes I think we miss this, he, you guys, we have to remind ourselves of who this is. He, the, the eternal son of God, the one who was in heaven, he came out, he took on flesh, right? The one who created all things and by him, all things hold together, right? The alpha and the mega, this man, God in flesh, he looked up as he's walking to Jerusalem to go to die for the sins of the world. He pauses, he looks up and he sees these men in a horrible condition, a painful condition, embarrassing condition, an isolated condition. And, and he stops and meets with them. And that's an amazing thing. And that's, that should be an encouragement to all of us, right? Jesus sees us. Some of us here are going through pain are going through whatever, confusion, suffering stuff from our own sin or sin, sins of other people towards us, right? We have these wounds, right? Even, even over the holiday season, some of us are reminded of some of these things. And I want you guys to know that Jesus sees you and he hears your cry for mercy. He sees you and he hears his cry for mercy. And I want you to notice that them, you guys, this is, these aren't some celebrity, you know, hot shot movie stars, right? Isn't it some, some NBA superstar? These aren't even moral, considered moral upstanding citizens. You guys, these were the outcasts and the rejects of society. And Jesus still stopped and he still had compassion on them. And, and, and that should be encouraging for all of us here today. He sees us and he hears our cry for mercy. Jesus did the, the same uh, yesterday, today, and forever. And we can, we can remember that. And I want us to know there's a greater picture. I think even in these, these verses, he saw them 2,000 years ago plus, right? God looked down the ugly, horrid, putrefying, gross condition of the world. Dark, no hope for them, right? And he saw mankind, he saw us, mankind, and he would send his son in the likeness of man to take on the sins of man so that man could be free. That's an amazing, amazing truth. That's the bigger picture. That's the greater mercy. And I believe this, that when he says this next thing, right, he met them, he saw them, but then he speaks to them. And what he says, I believe, is a testimony to the greater mercy that he wants us to get this morning. He says, he says this, he says, go and show yourself to the priest. 
And what is this about? And I believe that one of the major reasons, there's a couple reasons, but one of the major reasons that he says this is there's a bigger picture that he wants us to see. There's a greater mercy that he wants us to see. And we're going to see this in Leviticus chapter 14, verse one. And, and the verses will be on the screen. I'm going to re- just read through this and we'll go and touch, touch base on it. But this is ultimately a prophecy. This is what a leper, all of chapter 14 is what uh, a leper would do once they were cleansed. Okay, so we get to Leviticus 14. This is the law of Moses, and it says this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, this shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. Wait a second. There's no cure. There's no cure for leprosy. So Jesus, so, so God already is right, is already made room for a miraculous, his miraculous hand to move in his law. He shall, brought, he shall be brought to the priests and the priest shall go out of the camp and the priest shall examine him and, and if indeed the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that the one bird, one of the birds be killed in the earthen vessel over running water. And as for the living bird, he shall take the cedar wood, the scarlet and the hyssop and dip them all in where the living bird was in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. Verse seven says, and he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. Okay, so in just a couple of months, Jesus is gonna enter Jerusalem uh, and then the week that he's here, he's gonna, he's gonna die. And it's, this is all foreshadowing, all of the law and prophets. This is all pointing to Jesus, the greater picture of mercy. And so we see verse three, go outside of the camp, right? Jesus was led outside of the camp to be crucified. We see here you have this strange thing. You have two birds. You're going to take one of them and put it in an earthen vessel, right? The one, the bird symbolizing the divine, right? Put in an earthen vessel. John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And then later on in verse 14, the word became flesh. The word put on, was put in an earthen vessel and he dwelt among us, right? And so we see that the bird in the earthen vessel gets killed, gets slaughtered, blood and water, Right, Jesus on the cross, he gets, he gets stabbed. John chapter 19, blood and water flow from his side. We see, we see the cedar wood. Most scholars believe that the cross that Jesus died on was made out of cedar wood. The scarlet. Jesus was given a scarlet robe by Herod before the crucifixion. And the hyssop branch, right? The hyssop branch, a symbol of medicinal cleansing, right? Was, was taken um, when Jesus asked for water, he was thirsty and they took the, the hyssop branch, right? And they dipped it, a sponge in uh, vinegar and then they, they put it to Jesus. So, so this, is, this is an amazing picture of, of what needed to be done for the leper to be declared cleansed. And Jesus was pointing for what the greater leprosy, the, what he was gonna need to do to cleanse us from our sin 1500 years beforehand. It's absolutely amazing. And then we see at the end, one bird dies, the other one covered in the blood and then, and then goes free, a perfect and beautiful symbol of what Jesus was going to do, right? And it was gonna be, it was gonna be a picture and all of the priests should have known. And that was the other thing. It was an indictment. It was a testimony to the priest. Go and show yourself to the priest, right? It's gonna be a testimony to the priest that the power and grace of God has appeared in human history. Listen to this, all throughout the whole Old Testament, all throughout human history, only two lepers were ever cleansed, right? Um, It was Naaman the Syrian 
and he wasn't a Jew, so he didn't have to go declare himself to the priest. And the other one was Miriam, the the half-sister or the sister of Moses. And this was before the law of God. This was before the priesthood was established. So for 1,500 years, not one leper had gone through and been cleansed. Not one leper had gone and, 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 and no priest had declared a leper cleansed. Never one time. Right. And so I can just imagine, right. The, the priest seminary, so to speak, right. They're going through it. They get to Leviticus chapter 14. They're like, oh, we could just skip this chapter. It's the most unpractical uh, book in all of the Bible. We're never going to use it. Right. In 1500 years, it's not been used one time. And then, and then Jesus comes on scene, right. His ministry starts. He starts sending people, go and show yourself to the priest, go and show yourself to the priest. It was a sign. It was a, it was a, a testimony to them that God is here. God in the flesh is here. The curse of God, leprosy, the only way that curse can be removed is by the hand of God. God is present. The, uh, the master of mercy is here and is amongst them. And the last reason he says this is it was a test of the leper's faith. Go show yourself to the priest. Uh, they weren't cleansed yet. They weren't cleansed yet. So they had, a, they had to take a step in obedience before the healing would come. As they left, as they started stepping towards Jerusalem, they were not healed. Right, and so we see we see a, an amazing thing um, that faith is really uh, has to have action to it. Faith has to have action to it, um, and this is something that I think that we can learn from as well. A good a good reminder to us, right? So some of us have have pain. Some of us have these festering wounds, maybe of the past, right? We have bitterness. We have unforgiveness. We have certain things in our hearts and, and uh, maybe even certain sins. And we're praying, we're asking God to take these things from us, but he seems silent, right? He's not answering what's going on. Well, as you go, as you take steps in obedience to what God has said in his word, the, the, clen- the cleansing, the healing, the wholeness is going gonna, is gonna to happen, right? And these guys certainly these guys certainly had reason to, to be weary of going, right? It wasn't going to be an easy task, it could have been embarrassing. What if they go up and they show up to the priest, right? And they're not cleansed. That's an embarrassing, more ridicule, more isolation, right? Embarrassing thing. And, and granted, some of them, right? Missing feet and stuff. That Jerusalem's a long ways away. And crawling, that's not an easy journey. It's not an easy task. But yet they obeyed God in, his, in what he called them to do. And as they went, they were healed. And maybe, maybe God's calling uh, you guys to something. Maybe he's calling you guys to something. Maybe it's even just a fear of doing something that you know God has you to do, but there's a fear there, right? Or maybe a fear of failure, a fear of embarrassment. Go out and obey what God's called you to do and watch him do a miraculous thing. It's an amazing thing, you guys. I, I can't even imagine just, just being there. I can't imagine being there and, and just witnessing this. I imagine like one of the guys, they're all walking, they're all being obedient. One of the guys maybe starts feeling a little tingly in this and he looks down and his skin starts getting pigment and the, the sores start drying up and closing up right before his eyes and his hair growing back and eyebrows and you know all of, the, all of these things looking over and his buddy's face is coming whole, right? Noses coming out, becoming, they're becoming human again. I don't, I don't know exactly, like we don't know exactly how it went down. Even maybe one guy crawling, right? And he just starts just standing upright and starts walking. Whatever it was, it was absolutely an amazing thing. Um, I wish I could have seen it. Um, the master of mercy in work, right? And so clearly the, the story could have stopped here. This is an amazing story. We, we could have all grown. It could have stopped there. Ten lepers, ten lepers were healed by the grace and the mercy of God. But 
in Luke's writing, influenced and led by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not the main focus, but the main focus continuing on is this one thankful leper that comes back. And so in 15 and 16, we're going to focus on the one thankful leper. 15 says, one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And instead of continuing on to the priest, there was this one guy when he noticed that he was healed. He knew that he was healed. He turned around and, and immediately went back to thank the one who made him whole right? The whole world could have been, his buddies were continued on. The whole world could have been going one way and he would have turned around and and went back because he needed first and most important to thank the one who made him whole, to thank the one who gave him his life, to thank the one who who healed him from this horrible disease. And I I want us to notice something here too about his praise. His praise was prompt. He didn't delay in his praise immediately. Right when he saw he was healed, turned around and went back. Right? Sometimes procrastination is going to keep us from, from praising. We notice here his praise was prompt. Right? Next, his praise was passionate. He comes back and he's praising God in a loud voice, glorifying God. This is an amazing thing. This is also what we see. Luke chapter 19, uh, blind Bartimaeus. He also blind his whole life. God heals him, saves him. His eyes are open. It says that he followed Jesus on the road praising God, praising and glorifying God. And then we see in Luke chapter 13, the the woman who had an infirmity, she couldn't stand up. She was hunched over for 18 years, 18 years. And Jesus touched her and healed her. And for the first time, 18 years, she stands up straight and she does the same thing. She left praising and glorifying God. And that should be our natural response when we realize what God has done for us. And it's not just a one-time, one-and-done thing like, oh, thank you. Thank you for this, and then I'm going to go and receive the blessing and go and do my own thing, right? I imagine blind Bartimaeus, every time he has these new eyes, every time he saw a sunset, which he never got to see before, every time he saw a smiling face, say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, right? And a woman who was hunched over for all of her life, now she's getting out of bed and can stand up straight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And that should be our cry. That should be the heartbeat of our, of our lives. And I think one of the proofs that's in the pudding that salvation has entered your heart is that you have a, a heart and a life that praises and glorifies God. And I'm not saying in a perfect by any means, you know, none of us are without sin and none of us do this perfectly, but the overall trajectory and the overall heartbeat of your life, even though sometimes it's a couple steps forward and a couple steps backward, it is a desire to praise and a desire to glorify the one who saved us. And so we see here, um, it's not only the proof, but it's the purpose. That's the purpose of the Christian life. Uh, A Puritan saying says the chief end of man or the purpose of a person's existence is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. First, First Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, anything that you do, do all things to glorify God. Do all things for the glory of God. And that's our very purpose, right? And so some, some people may be here today, they're going through life and they, they lack purpose. They, they, they haven't met Christ. They don't know where their life is headed or the direction or the purpose or the meaning of this life. And if you're here today um, and that's you, until you realize that you were made by God and until you realize, until you realize that you were made for God, you're going to keep going down, keep banging your head against that wall until you surrender to that and realize that was my purpose. My purpose and all people's purposes, um, if realized, are to glorify God 
and to give honor and glory to the one who made us and the one who died for us. And so next we see here, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. Face in the dirt, this is the posture of humility. What other other attitude could we have if somebody's done us such a great thing? It's the posture of undying loyalty, a beautiful display of adoration and love. We owe everything to him. Our thanks, our adoration, our loyalty, our love. It reminds me of, of the sinful woman in Luke chapter seven. You guys remember the Pharisees, they throw a dinner party for Jesus, right? But they really wanted to trap him. And uh, the sinful woman comes in. She wasn't even invited, but she came in anyways. And she came in anyways, and she falls at the feet of Jesus, and she starts worshiping. She starts tears flowing down from her eyes, right? And she takes her hair, and she starts washing Jesus' feet, and she's serving him, right? And she takes the alabaster jar of perfume, and she starts pouring that expensive, everything that she has, she starts pouring it on Jesus' feet. And that's the purpose of our life. That's life that's truly life, is given back, falling back at the feet of Jesus, giving everything, who, everything that we are back to God. It's really always his anyways, and this girl realized it, and Jesus said, she loves much because she's been forgiven much, and my challenge to you is, have we all realized how much we've been forgiven, and that the love should pour through in, in thankfulness and gratitude? That's why gratitude and praise in the Christian's life are so important, right? And this is, this is why we have so much to be thankful for. Instead of hell, God's given us heaven. Instead of divine judgment, he's going to show us undeserved grace. Instead of bondage to sin and death, he's going to give me a true freedom in which I can stand. Instead of wearing shame and wearing condemnation of my sins, I'm going to be clothed in the righteousness that Christ gives. And instead of experiencing the intense heat of the wrath of God for my rebellion and my crimes towards him, I get to be in awe of the one who heroically took that heat for me, my savior. Instead of being written out of the will, God is is promised me an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that's never going to end. Instead of the second death, I am going to live forever. I was thinking about this. Even if God never answered one more of my prayers from this moment on, the rest of my life, he never answered one more of my prayer. He never sent down one favorable blessing to me. He would still be deserve and be worthy of all of the thanks and all of the gratitude and all of the worship and all of the thankfulness that my heart could conjure up and my life could give. If he didn't give me anything else, right? And he does because he's a good God and now he's brought us in his children. So he'll give us kisses on the cheeks. He'll give us blessing. But even if he didn't, he still deserves all of that for what he's done for us. And this is why ingratitude is such a serious sin that leads to all other egregious sins. Romans chapter 121 says this, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor they gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts hearts had become darkened. And so... Um, and, if, and if you continue on, it starts leading to everything else, right? These people started because of that, because they weren't thankful and because they failed to wor- uh, glorify and worship God. They started worshiping the creation rather than, rather than the creator. They started, they started focusing all of their adoration, their affection, their loyalty, their life on the gift rather than the, the giver of the gift, right? And there's a huge list of all of these sins that are birthed from these two, these two, um, these two sins. And it says that there, there's gonna be all kinds of depravity, all kinds of wickedness, evil, greed, envy, murder, strife, arrogant, boastful, gossipers, slanderers, faithful, uh, no faithfulness, no love, and no mercy. And that's through verse 31. And all of these sins, all of these horrible things can be traced back to the, to the seed of those things, which is 
failing to, to give glory to God and failing to, to be thankful to him for what he's done and what he's given us. Next, we see here, he finishes up and he, 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 he says he's a Samaritan. The one that comes back is a Samaritan. And this is, this is an incredible because ultimately all we need to know is that Samaritans, he was doubly outcasted. He's insinuating that the other nine were, were Jewish lepers, right? But, it, but this one came back and he's double outcast. He's double outside the camp of God. Not only is he a leper, but he's a Samaritan. He's the one that comes back. Truly amazing. Let's finish up right here, you guys. We're going to finish up with the last point. Um, we're going to look at the profound proclamation in verse 17 through 19. Jesus asks, he's going to throw out these bar- this barrage of questions, right? Jesus asks, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? You guys, Jesus is asking these rhetorical questions because he's bothered. Most of the time when rhetorical questions are asked, it's because the person's bothered a little bit. Uh, my wife, I, she, she, she'll ask rhetorically, are those still your clothes that are on the ground in the middle of the room? And uh, it's not a question, right? It's a statement. She knows the answer. They're, they're definitely mine. So it's a statement and she's bothered by it. And so Jesus here as well, he's asking these rhetorical questions because he's bothered, like they should be here, right? And so he starts saying, he says, we're not all 10 cleansed, rhetorical, right? It's a statement. I, I know I cleansed 10 of them. I know I cleansed 10 of them and, and one of them came back, right? And Jesus is good at math, right? He's the inventor of math. One of them came back. He's like, where, where are the nine? Where are the other nine? And so where are the other nine? What keeps us from, what keeps us, what kept them from returning to thank the one who healed them? Maybe one person, uh, personal dreams, ambitions. Maybe he started a little business before he got diagnosed with leprosy and he's got to get back and run the business. He's got money to be, there's money to be made. There's things to do, right? And so the, the cares of this world choked out his desire to come back and, and first and foremost, thank Jesus. The second, maybe he had you know spouse and children. He wanted to go back and hug his family, right? And all of us can relate to that. Who wouldn't relate to that? But he, he failed to miss that Jesus, right? He's the very source of family. He's the very source of all good things. And he first should be thanked and worshiped and glorified. And then, and then the other way. Maybe one feared man. People were constantly trying to kill Jesus. Maybe they heard of this and they didn't return. The fear of their lives might be in danger. Right, they missed the verse. Jesus said, "Do not fear man, right? Who can only kill the body at best, but fear God, who can kill the body and throw the soul into hell, the spirit into hell." So that's a big thing, and it's a it's a it's a reverent fear, right? So maybe this guy feared. One had fear of commitment. Man, this Jesus has been calling people to follow him, right? He's been calling people to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and to follow him. And he's not telling us where we're going. He's not telling us how long we're going to be there. And he's not telling us how much it's going to cost us, right? He said, I don't know about that. So he was afraid of commitment. He didn't go and follow because of that. Cowardly, maybe. Maybe, maybe uh, one wanted to go back, but his other buddies, the other eight, continued on, and he was too afraid to stand out. He was too afraid to go against the grain, right? He was too, too afraid to, to, you know, what they might think of him, that it kept him from going back and giving praise and glory and worship to God. One was thoughtless, never took time to reflect or to think about what had actually happened. One was proud. Why be thankful if I deserve the healing? And maybe one was envious and bitter, right? They, look, they go back and they see the life maybe that they, 
they would have had or could have had if they would have been healed sooner, if they would have never got it. And so they start living in the past and it prevents them from ever moving on to the future, prevents them from going and thanking the one who healed them, right? Bitterness and envy. And so there's so many different things that could have happened. And I found found myself wondering this, right? The other nine, Jesus told them to go show themselves to the priest. So I was like, well, weren't they just maybe, maybe they were just obeying. They were just doing what Jesus told them to do, right? But Jesus knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And by his question, he's saying, no, they should be here right now, right? And so maybe these people, they were going there um, to be obedient, but they were missing the most important thing. It was just, it was just going through the motions. And this was something that was really convicting to me in, in studying this. Like sometimes we can, I know for myself, I can be so much about what Jesus has called me to do that I miss Jesus himself sometimes. I could be so into oh, doing, work, doing, a, doing work for God, but I, that I miss the one who's called me into that work and the one who loves me. I miss the heart of worship, which is going down as this leper did and, and fall down at his feet and worshiping and giving my life to him. And, and the real thing is all true works of God, that's where they start and that's how they're continued, right? They start at the feet of Jesus and, they, and, the, and they're fueled by this worship. God prefers worshipers rather than workers, Right? True worshipers of God will always do the work, or true worshipers of God will do the work of God because, in view of God's mercy, in view of His mercies, they will be offering up their very lives as a reasonable uh, sacrifice to Him. That's Romans chapter 12. Right, so all of that's going to flow. And so maybe some of you guys here today, you have great ambitions to, to do some mighty and wonderful things for the name of God. That's a noble thing. That's, a, that's an awesome thing. But don't forget the one who's called you into that as well. And always go back to him knowing that that true ministry and fruitful ministry starts and, continu- and continues at the feet of Jesus. Nice. The, la- the next thing, you guys, we see here, he says that it's only this foreigner who came back. Only this foreigner came back. Um, the one that's least religious, the one that's most uh, least likely to come back, the one who hasn't been around synagogue, who hasn't been around the temple in Jerusalem. All the other nine, they grew up around, uh, most likely grew up around this. They grew up with a common, uh, you know, being exposed to the things of God, right? And they're not the ones that come back, right? So maybe they were. Maybe that's what happened. I have a. There's a student in the youth group right now, and uh, he, the Lord, got a hold of him in, in a mighty way. Maybe like a year ago, he knows nothing. Didn't grow up in a Christian home. Grows up, grew up in a home where the the family is very much against Christianity. But he came here. A friend invited him, and the Lord just got a hold of him. And he is one of the now one of the most thankful, happy kids. He's always here before youth group. He's always serving, and. Uh, and yeah, but didn't, knows not, knew nothing about God, but he, he is so thankful, so grateful. And, and he, uh, I talked to, talked to him a lot. And one of our leaders actually bought him a Bible. And he even like, was like, hey, like, can you keep this in, in your office? Because I'm afraid of my dad sees it. He's going to throw it away. You know? And so could you keep this there? And he's not allowed to come to church on Sundays. And he's like, I pick him up and he's like, I can't wait till I can turn 18 and I can go to church whenever I want. You know? And, and it's just... Uh, it's super exciting, but it's, it's like the, the one that maybe is least expected. He didn't grow up around that, but it's new and it's fresh and it hasn't become stale because he's, he's getting the person of, of who, who Jesus is. And so often, like I see kids growing up, going through the youth group sometimes. And even myself, like when I turned 18, going to church wasn't the, <laughs> wasn't, wasn't the first thing that I really wanted to do, you know? So it's just, Jesus is just pointing out that, you know, Sometimes it's the least likely. It's the foreigner. The foreigner is the one that's here um, thanking 
Jesus. And so last, the profound proclamation, he says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This word made you well, the word well is sozo. This is the word for saved. So the distinction, right? God made a distinction. Jesus made a distinction. Where is the other nine, the ones here? There's a distinction, right? One of them, only one of them gets the blessing and gets the treasure to hear with his own ears from the mouth of Jesus, you are saved. You are saved. The other nine, maybe, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. They certainly weren't acting like it. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but, but they, didn't, they didn't get to hear that. They don't have that same assurance that this guy had for coming back, giving his life and worship and glory. He has the assurance that he's saved. And so I'm not saying that, that if you have seasons of un- ingratitude or whatever, seasons of, of, of anything, seasons of sin. If there's seasons like that, that, that you're not saved, but I'm saying the overall, like I said before, the overall trajectory and the overall heart of a life is, 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 is the person of Jesus. Like that's the most precious thing. Christ is the most precious thing. And like I said, sometimes a couple steps forward, a couple steps back, but is Jesus is Jesus everything? Is he precious to me? Is that the trajectory of my heart? And is that the, tra- the trajectory of my life? We so often the other the others grab that grab that temporal blessing, right? But the gifts are always meant to be like a window. You're supposed to the focus isn't supposed to be at the window, but it's supposed to be through the window to focus on the one who's given the gift, right? And so that's the big thing here. We got to focus on the one who's given, because even eternal life itself would be nothing if Jesus wasn't there, right? If you want eternal life but you don't want Jesus there, you're you're probably not a Christian. Right? Because Jesus is the, he's the, he's the heaven of heavens. He's the gift of heaven. He's the one, he's the source of eternal life. Right? And so is Jesus the central thing? That's the question to ask. And so from that, from recognizing what he's done, I want to challenge us to be the one, be the one. We are outsiders brought in by the love of God. And we are the lepers that have been cleansed by the mercy of God. We're the, the one free bird that gets to fly free because the other bird was sacrificed. Right? Be the thankful one. Don't be the grumbling one. Don't be the griping one. Anytime you're grumbling or griping, man, think about our buddy Law, right? If anyone had, had anything to gripe or grumble about, it's that guy right there. And he does it. He had not an ounce of grumbling or griping in him. Even though, um, yeah, instead of griping, I'm going to give. Instead of procrastination, I want to be quick to praise God for all that he's done. Be the one that returns to worship. Be the faithful one. Be the one that doesn't just take a blessing, but is a blessing to others. Thank God, praise God for all he's done. Be the one that doesn't just acknowledge the gift, but acknowledges the gifts and sees past it and gives glory and honor to the gift giver, Jesus. Give him all the praise. Be the one that's all about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. In concluding, that was the intro to my conclusion. This is the conclusion. I learned this one from Pastor Ross. Um, really, really quickly, just a, a, final, a final thought, you guys hypothetically speaking, you get to the end of all of these guys' lives, right? You get to all of these guys' lives, and if you were to interview them, you ask the nine, hey, what, what was the best, the most incredible, what was the best day of your life, the most incredible day of your life? And I imagine that those guys would say, the day that the man, that that man cleansed me of my leprosy and I got my life back. But if you were to ask the one, the one, the foreigner, the thankful one that came back, right, the lull, if you were to ask him, what was the best day, end of your life? What was the best day? What was the most incredible day that you ever had? He would say, the day that I met the man who cleansed my leprosy and the day I got to worship him, the day I got to thank him. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for 
all you've done for us, God. May we not miss your heart, God. May we not miss the beauty and how amazing the sacrifice is, God, that, that uh, even while we were sinners, God, you sent your son to die for us, God. Even while we were rebels against you, God, you, uh, you loved us, God. You brought us in. And so we, we look to you, God. We want to live a life that praises and glorifies you. And though we know we fall short of that, God, you're gracious and merciful. By your spirit and through your word and your encouragement, God, may we live a life that honors you. May we live a life that glorifies you. May we live a life that's thankful to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.